So we've got some life changes happening. A lot of big things. The baby's coming. <laughs> yeah, yours is the biggest. <laughs> so this is the problem right now is that, okay, the, the birth book that I'm reading calls oh, no. it a guest date because a due date oh. is ridiculous. Okay. Like, very few people give birth on But then date. you get to say my baby was past due. Is Wait. that a good thing? <laughs> I don't know. I thought it would be funnier once I said it. But a lady did come in here. Babies are literally past. past Yeah. Yes. Did you see the lady who came in here who was walking? Was that? Were you here with me on Victorian Christmas? She was walking through here and she bought a puzzle because she's she was over. She's past due and she had done five puzzles the day before. She's just waiting for the baby. I hope she had it by now. I feel like that's a lot of puzzles. When are you due? She goes, last Monday. (laughs) (laughs) So sorry. Well, they won't let you go more than two weeks over. Okay. I don't think. So so the issue for me is that, so this Friday, I'm like, I'm 36 weeks, which is like the time when they think that the baby is capable of. Capable of coming. Coming out uh, and being healthy and, you know. Um, So I could have the baby tomorrow. Or I could have the baby in, like, six weeks. Yeah. And that's really stressing me out, especially around the holidays, because I'm like, I want some time to relax before. Yeah. I just want to know. I want to know exactly when it's coming. Yeah. So that I can plan up to that mm, date. You don't get to unless you do an elective C-section. C-section. Like, like Gilmore, Girls. Gilmore Girls. I just watched that episode. I wrote it down. <laughs> I wrote it down. She planned her that. birth. Very. Yeah. But it came yeah. before. <laughs> <laughs> but it but came before she was ready. <laughs> so that's my thing right now. Olivia's engaged in planning a wedding. <laughs> oh no! I'm Olivia's not yet in, engaged. Olivia's engaged. <laughs> engaged no, period. I'm that part. <laughs> I just, there's no planning happening. So, one day soon. Maybe. One day soon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when things die down. Yeah. When that We've happens. been waiting for that. Forever. Did it happen and we missed it? <laughs> Between July and now, did it happen and we missed it? It didn't for me personally. The floor might have been slower, but I think around here, the thing is, even when the floor is slow, you've got other things going on. Yeah. So... I don't know. I always tell myself, just make it to January. And then January is actually pretty full. Because <laughs> we do inventory... Winter, I'm going to Winter Institute this year, and I'm moving. That's my life change. Mm-hmm. But that's tomorrow. January. Yeah, that's tomorrow. <laughs> so. Are you packed? We have not discussed this. <laughs> no. Okay. I am not packed. I told Olivia I took Christmas presents over yesterday to the new place because I did not want those to get lost yeah. in the shuffle. So I took Christmas presents over, and I decorated the mantle. Because that felt important. It is. For your spirit. <laughs> yeah. I just felt like I wanted something to look like my home. Um, but, like, we're sleeping over there tomorrow night. In a bed? In a bed. <laughs> I hired movers. And supposedly they are going to pack me. But I was telling Olivia the bummer is I feel like I didn't get a chance to clean my house before starting to pack. Okay. So they're going to just load up, you know, papers that should have been thrown up, like old church bulletins. And yeah, But regardless, I mean, you're going to have to unpack those things and I you know. can throw them away then. wish I'd just kind of thrown them away. <laughs> Still have boxes in my house. Good luck 
I'm really, look, when we moved here, like to this current house, I mean, I hung stuff on the wall. Like I very much immediately want my house to feel like a home. There are some people who are like, wait to see what the house tells you. And I'm like, (laughs) no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, everything's fine. It's also Christmas. We're doing okay. Yeah. Everything's great. We actually use the boxes in our house as, like, furniture pieces now. So, like, one is Jerry's bed. The other one holds our recycling. Okay. Well, there you go. That might be, though, the border between 20s and 30s. (laughs) (laughs) So, Annie and I have passed it. (laughs) Yes. I'm really counting on the new house making me a new person. Are you guys ever like that? Like, I think to myself, maybe I'll have orange juice in my refrigerator now. Seems like an adult thing. I do, too, but I don't keep it at my house. Yeah. Can only drink it sometimes. I think mm, I love it. I you guys will not be surprised to hear that it gives me heartburn. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I am appalled. <laughs> Welcome to episode two hundred fifty-four of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. I'm Annie Jones, owner of the Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And today I'm joined by Olivia and Lucy. Hi, I'm Olivia, the manager at the Bookshelf. And I'm Lucy, online sales coordinator at the Bookshelf. Today we are going to close out the year. This is our last episode of 2019 of the decade. Are you freaked out by that? Never really thought about it. You said it. <laughs> I'm excited because I like even numbers. So 2020. I feel oh, like 2020 is great. Yeah, the Olympics are coming. I'm yes. very excited. But it's an Olympic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. 2020 is. It's very exciting. Okay. So 2019 is the end of a decade, but I was thinking it was the end. I thought 2000 to 2020 was a decade. Do you know what I mean? Uh, like I yeah. forgot. Like no, no, because I thought, oh, I got married at the middle of this deck. No, I didn't. No. I had been married long ago, long ago. Anyway, my point is I got confused. You skipped the teens. I did. Yeah. So it, anyway, this is the last episode of from the front porch of the decade. Uh, and we're going to talk about our top 10 books of the year. Uh, we got to do this quick because basically that's 30 books <laughs> that we're going to try to talk about. Yeah. So less than a minute for each book. Yeah, here we go. So my number 10 is Daisy Jones and the six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I loved this book because I thought the format was original. The writing was excellent. I think it's Taylor Jenkins Reid at her best. Like I've liked her books, but this to me surpassed them all and finally gave her some of the recognition she deserved. It made me think that this rock band was real. Like I Googled for it because I read it before it even came out. So I thought maybe this is a memoir. It was not. <laughs> um, and this is a fun fact. Did you guys do your Spotify wrapped? Mm-hmm. Okay, love it. Very interesting. And one of my top artists for this year was Linda Ronstadt. Yes, that's why. <laughs> I was like, why? And it was because of Daisy Jones and the Six. Yes. So oh, it, it's very funny. So I owe Taylor Jenkins Reid so many things. So Daisy Jones and the Six is my number 10. Okay, my number 10 is Psychology of Time Travel. I oh, I forgot, forgot you read this. Why. Yes, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Like all the way at the beginning of the year. Anyways, I, I mean, I love anything that has to do with time travel. I just think it's really cool. Um, but this one had an all-female cast, and I loved it. And it was it just is one of those books that you fly through without realizing you're flying through it. And it had one of the most creative uses of time travel in any book that I've read. And that still holds out even after I read, like, Recursion and Anyone by Charles Sewell. Okay. It was so creative and so well done, and I really enjoyed it. 
perfect. Okay, number 10 for my year is Organs of Sense. And this is was a fascinating book to me that I incre- like really, really loved reading, um, but it's um, not for everybody. Um, so in any case, it's a strange historical fiction about an astronomer in the 15th century. There are certain characters that are were real, um, but uh, anyway, he's blind and he predicts a an eclipse. Um, and so you had this kind of science journalist traveling to meet him before the date and time of the eclipse that he's predicted, trying to see if a blind astronomer can, in fact, <laughs> predict through the use of a telescope um, an eclipse. It's um, witty, it's philosophical, it's intellectual, um, it's really, it's really um, unique. Yeah, I feel like it's super unusual. We yeah. talked about it for literary matchmaking, I think, because we had a reader who was who liked eclectic things, and yep. that was the first book that you and I came to our minds. Yep. Okay, number nine for me is The Current. Uh, this is a book I feel like Olivia read first and then handed to me. I had read I had read Tim Johnson's uh, Descent a mm-hmm. few years ago. The Current was my first five star book of the year. I and it, I wanted it to be on my top 10 because I just remember finishing it like I read it in the car on the way to church and then on the way back I think I finished it and I looked at Jordan and I was like I can't believe I just read one of my top 10 books of the year in January and it's like a mystery suspense novel but the writing is so good. I could not get over how powerful and beautiful and atmospheric the writing was. Um you feel like you're going to be starting this typical maybe genre thriller. Um, You've got these two young girls who get in this car accident and one of them dies and the other one survives. And we can't decide if the car accident was on purpose or not, or something happened to kind of create the car accident. Um, I, I kind of compare it to the TV show Fargo. Did you guys ever watch that? So Fargo felt like you thought it was going to be a typical mystery thriller, but then it wound up being this really well done piece of art. And that is what I felt about the current, um, very wintry appropriate book too. feels like something you should be reading right now. So the current by Tim Johnston is my number nine. Okay. My number nine is this was our pact. This was, um, a middle grade graphic novel that I read on vacation in August. And I just picked it up at the strand cause I was like, this looks good. And then I read it on the way to the beach. Um, but it was so good. It was about this kid who's in a group of friends who every year their town sets off these like lunar, not lunar, like little, you know. Those little lanterns? Yes, thank you. Floating <laughs> lanterns. Finally. Lunar modules. <laughs> <laughs> but they go, they ride along with them until they land in the lake. Every year they do it. And um, no one turns back. Like that's their pact is that no one turns around. No one gets forgotten. And then this year, this little kid who they all consider annoying tags along, but he's friends, friends with, that was air quotation marks. <laughs> Sometimes we forget we're on a podcast. Um, and so the kid is kind of embarrassed that this kid's tagging along with him. And then all of his friends bail. So they like bail on the pact that they made. And then these two kids go on this adventure and like, they meet this talking bear, which sounds corny, but it wasn't. Okay. And then they end up like trapped by this woman who rescues stars and they have to go save a star. It was so good. I loved it. Okay. Okay. Um, my number nine is a controversial pick. 
Um, it's The Innocence by Michael Crummy. Um, really, really, really beautiful book um, about um, 17th century or 18th century rural Canada. And by rural, I mean like a, a family that knows nobody else. Like mm-hmm. twice a year, there's a ship that comes and brings them supplies, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there's nobody else. And um, through a series of events, the brother and sister are left alone and it's a survival story. Um, the writing makes you feel like you're in a cold wintry place trying to survive. I don't mm-hmm. know um, like how else to describe it other than that. It's very beautiful writing. Um, it's controversial because there's incest in it. So <laughs> if you're okay with that <laughs> and you really like survival stories and beautiful writing, the innocence. We've talked about incest so much this year. Only because of that. No. <laughs> no, I, there's one on my list okay. with hints of it as well. Okay. So <laughs> it's, it's not just me. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> uh, number eight for me is Miracles and Other Reasonable Things by Sarah Bessie. This was my first Sarah Bessie book to finish. I had started a couple of hers and liked them, but just, I don't know, never finished them. This one, I am sure made my top 10. When I thought about what I wanted to include on my list, I wanted to include books that met me where I was this year. And this is one of those. So it's a really, um, personally felt memoir about Sarah Bessie's kind of faith journey and how she struggled with, um, some health issues, some personal health issues that kind of, um, changed and shaped her faith. And I feel like I have been going through faith struggles and changes for the past few years. And I remember just sitting in my grandpa's big blue chair, his ugly chair that I insist on moving wherever we go and finishing this like with tears streaming down my face, which is not often, but I've just felt like somebody finally could see me. And so miracles and other reasonable things. Um, it's just beautiful. I loved it. Okay. My number eight is sorcery of thorns, which is a YA uh, fantasy novel. And I will, you know, I will eventually remember these authors. <laughs> Just not right now. But this one was like, besides Harry Potter, this is the world, the fictional world that like I want to live in. Oh, that's high praise. Yes. It was so well done. And it was about this girl who, so in this world, there are like these five libraries, <laughs> but they hold these books that can like, they can talk to people and they can interact and like, the, the more serious the book, the harder it is to contain. And one of the book gets, one of the books gets out and then all of the libraries start to get infiltrated and she has to, she gets blamed for it. And so she has to work her way out of it, but it was just so well done. The relationship between the three main characters is so interesting. And I just, I really liked it. Okay. Number eight for me is Dutch house. by Ian Aww, It's on my list too, but yeah. it's kind of, I don't know if it's further down than yours. Yeah, mine's higher. Um, (laughs) So I feel like I should let you talk about it uh, later. I I found it to be moving, um, especially relationally, and um, the writing is, you know, beautiful and passionate. So good. Yeah. She's so good at what she does. My number seven is Ask Again Yes. Uh, This was a book that I read during the summer. And I have a lot of like complicated family stories on my list, as you might expect. And I was tempted to put this one higher. Um, this was the book that I read and thought at the time it was going to be like my favorite book of the year. I just found, I think it's outstanding. Um, the, we've talked a lot, but the writing is great. Um, 
And then it kind of, to me, speaking of Ann Patchett, it has sensibilities of Commonwealth, but is even better. And I say that having really loved and enjoyed Commonwealth. Um, I think it's great. And I think because it was published in the summer, books came out this fall. It's like those Oscar movies that got buzz in the summer and then the Oscars roll around and you forget about them because so many other movies have come out. I'm afraid people are going to forget about Ask Again Yes. So this is my reminder to read that book. It's so good. Okay, my number seven is Tuesday Mooney Talks to Ghosts. Oh, yeah. I love this book. It was so quirky. I think it was Kate Rakula. I actually think that might be it. Good job. I could be pronouncing it wrong. (laughs) That might be it. Um, It was so quirky. And just overall, it was probably one of the, like, I'm going to say this wrong, most fun I had while reading a book. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. The funnest book I've read. <laughs> I think the I first one. Was, <laughs> I think you were right on track. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so much fun. Like I enjoyed every second of it, and it was this cute little who done it, and the premise of it was great. This guy dies, and then just like it was like rat race meets <laughs> um oh, sorry. Uh, Adam's family. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was That's it. fun. It was so much the fun. combo we've all been waiting for. <laughs> Um, okay seven for me the world that we knew by alice hoffman um beautiful take on historical fiction it's got this kind of spiritual aspect to it um and kind of like magical realism and the heart of the story is this created being um called a golem that's from like traditional like Lord of the Rings it's not a golem (laughs) (laughs) although it might be related like uh, uh, linguistically because Tolkien (laughs) Tolkien was like a that's what he did he studied language um but anyway it's called a golem and this mom (laughs) this Jewish mom wants to send her daughter to be to France to like be protected um, from the Holocaust, but she doesn't want to send her alone on this journey. So she has long story short, but she has like a rabbi type figure create this spiritual being to protect her. Um, And it ends up being a young woman and this young woman, you, you can hear her thoughts and she's like, she's new to the world. So she, in the midst of the Holocaust where like all these horrible sad things are happening. She's experiencing for the first time, like sunshine on her skin Uh. and like flowers and like, and so she's having this almost like love affair with the world while all this ugly stuff is going on. And she, and she evolves like her consciousness evolves over the course of the novel. And, um, it's just gorgeous. Um, really, really pretty. I like that that sounds like a reinvention of the World War II novel. Yes. You know what I mean? I feel like, and I think a lot of great stories come out of that era, and so that's really fine, but sometimes it detracts from historical fiction for me. Mm-hmm. So I like that this kind of t- turns the take. Little, yeah, new take. Yep. Okay, number six, normal people. Uh, I think this is controversial-ish, controversial-ish, because I tried to read conversations with friends after loving normal people so much, and I did not like conversations with friends. I didn't finish it. Um, So if you 
did not like conversations with friends, try normal people. And if you did like it, I don't know. Um, but, but normal people just truly, I finished it. All of these books, I know exactly where I was when I read them and when I finished them. And I felt like I had been punched in the gut. And at the time I was reading it as an arc. No one else had read it. I had nobody to talk to about it. And I just, I don't know. Sally Rooney is Olivia. I think she's your age. And it just infuriates me <laughs> like how talented she is and how her storytelling, it, it does feel very millennial. I feel like she's telling millennial stories, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, and I really think her writing is great. I think she's only going to get better, um, which is scary because I think she's already really, really good. So normal people. Okay. My next one is Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. Is that on your list? Too? I thought about it. It's my, it's okay. one of my two asterisks, like one of my two, I couldn't find room for them. Yeah. I, I got like halfway down my list and I was like, no, I have to, because I listened to this book on my way back from Siba and it was, I do suggest the audiobook for this one. They have a different, because each chapter is a different person from this girl's family who's entering her 16th birthday party. And you get a different voice for each person who's, who's talking and reading. And it was so well done. And it was so moving. There's a part that was so emotional, <laughs> which was kind of what I needed on my way home from SEPA yeah. to de-stress. Yeah. But it was, it was really, really well done. And it'll be a quick read. Oh, it's but so it'll fast. be one that'll stick with you. Yeah. It's a great one to try to pick up because it's not too long. Mm-hmm. But she tells a full story. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Um. Okay, enter nonfiction. The Great Pretender by Susanna Callan. Callan. A really fascinating look into the mental health industry. Um, She writes kind. She writes journalistically um, about this uh, article written in a journal in the 1970s. Um, by this professor who got himself and then I think 10 other people um, admitted to mental hospitals and then they wrote about their experiences. Um, The paper changed the way that people thought about um, the field of psychology's ability to diagnose correctly um, and they've been dealing with that ever since in various ways. Um, She unpacks the ways that that paper maybe wasn't honest about its methods. Hmm. Um, but also she's not like contradicting the conclusions either of the paper. And she has a really interesting viewpoint because she has dealt with, um, the mental health industry from the inside. She had a physical illness that manifested as a mental illness. Um, and if you read brain on fire, that's her story about that. Um, just a really, uh, fascinating nonfiction, especially for people with any interest in mental health, the great pretender. Number five for me is Family of Origin by C.J. Hauser. Uh, This was one of my favorite books of the year. It's another millennial novel, um, but I think shows – I think in my original review, I talked about how C.J. somehow is able to mix baseball with evolution, evolutional theory, and, like, the millennial angst, and yet it not be annoying. Like, it somehow combines all of these worlds. Um, There is a slight (laughs) undercurrent of a hint of what could be incest, (laughs) Uh, but trust CJ. She's taking you somewhere. Um, I, I just loved this book, and I felt like 
if last year's novel, one of my favorite books of last year was the Barbara King solver, Unsheltered, I think this is shades of that, but I think um, a better story, a more complete story. Um, there's some stuff here about growing up and into yourself that I really like. So it's got this slight coming of age, um, intergenerational storytelling. I think it's very much of this time. So Family of Origin by C.J. Hauser. My, <clears throat> my next one <laughs> is Lime Tender uh, by, I believe it's Kate Allen. I know the last name for sure is Allen because <laughs> uh, it's at the beginning of our children's middle grade books. But if this is like if the emotional, if you like graphed the emotional scale of like My Girl, the movie, it would be on that same line oh. where like you're going to weep towards the beginning. But then it has this really uplifting ending. My Girl does not have an uplifting does ending. It? Are you referring to My Girl 2? No. <laughs> My Girl 1 builds to a horrific ending. Oh, maybe I have not seen this movie in a long time. Not PG-18. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, never mind. But it does have, you're going to weep in the beginning, but then it has an uplifting ending. Okay. Um, but it was really, it's a middle grade read. I would suggest 10 and up. But it was about this girl who, her and her best friend, who's a, a, the youngest boy of a family across the street, they both are dealing things. Her mother passed away. He has a lot of anxiety issues that lead to like asthma issues. And they're best friends and he passes away and she kind of has to deal with that while grappling with her mom, not being there anymore, but through like the support of all the grownups around her, she kind of gets through it and realizes that she, there's still more out there Mm -hmm. and she has a bright future ahead of her. It was really, it was really beautiful. Um, okay. This tender land by William Kent Kruger. Um, we I, both had Tinder. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, mm, this makes me want a steak or something. <laughs> Tinder. Okay. Anyway, uh, this Tinder Land is also <clears throat> historical fiction. A couple of my books on this list are like historical fiction light, mm-hmm. where it's like just a setting and not like um, I don't know, not super drawing on those um, historical. Um, time periods. But um, yeah, William Kent Kruger um, wrote Ordinary Grace, and this is his second. Um, And I really enjoyed it. I kind of call it, what did I call it? Nickel Boys meets um, the Odyssey meets, um, oh, I can't remember what else it meant. (laughs) Rat race? Very rat race. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, and it's it's a little kids' adventure story. I mean, for adults, of course. It's 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 got some <laughs> serious stuff at the beginning, but the main characters are kids, um, and they're escaping from some like pretty troubled situations, and they have adventures together. They're also being followed by the police because one of them is a little girl who um, people are claiming that the other kids kidnapped um and so anyway it's it takes place i think during the great depression kind of era um but really gripping and a fun adventure story although there's some sad stuff at the beginning that's the nickel boys stuff i'm sorry that's so just a little preview i'm sure what's coming (laughs) that's right this list 
Okay, so we're cutting it close now. So we gotta we yes, gotta move. tighten up. Okay, tighten up. So tighten my my number four is Olive again. Cannot believe this made my top ten. Truly shocking to me. I did not particularly love Olive Kittredge, but for some reason I fell in love with her and Olive again. I think this is a fantastic novel about aging. The writing is beautiful, and it makes me want to go visit Maine tomorrow, even though it's December. I loved it. I thought it was so great. My next one is All the Grace on Green Street by Laura Tucker, and I. This was set in New York. It was very realistic to the games and psychology of children and how they interact and how they deal with, um, not trauma, but like tough situations. Mm -hmm. Um, And it had mystery, it had friendship. It was so much fun to read, but also heartwarming. Um, Stars of Alabama by Sean Dietrich. Mm -hmm. It's his first novel. He's got another book coming out in 2020, which I'm very excited about. Um, I think it's a memoir. It is. Um, so a beautiful love letter to the South, um, three different interwoven stories. Um, I just, if you love the South and beautiful writing, just read it. Number three for me is The Dearly Beloved. I think I am drawn, I don't think, I know, I am drawn to books about complicated faith. Um, It's why A Place for Us was my favorite novel of the year last year. Um, The Dearly Beloved tackles belief and unbelief, disbelief uh, in a way that I found to be really touching. Um, And some of the sentences I just thought were absolutely stunning. Uh, So the writing is great, but the story is equally compelling. Um, Yet it's about these people who leave who lead normal, I, I guess kind of air quotes, but like normal, quiet lives. Um, and in that, in that way, it reminded me of Crossing to Safety by Wallace Stegner. I just, as much as I love a bombastic story, I also really like books about people who are just kind of doing their thing quietly. And that's what The Dearly Beloved is. My number three is Nickel Boys by oh. Colson Whitehead. This book made me pull up to the Marriott in tears when I arrived at Seattle. <laughs> um, it's one of those that I deem hard yet necessary. Yes. It was well worth all the tears that were put into the end of that book. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Glittering Hour just wow. came out last week. Look um, at it sneaking in. Yeah, it snuck in there. I It was so refreshing for me. Um, after so many Holocaust books to read, um, a book that was historical fiction and it is sad. It's, it's sad. Um, but it's also fun and, um, a little bit lighter than what I had been reading. Um, historical fiction about England. It goes back and forth between the twenties where this woman is kind of one of these wealthy, um, beautiful young things in, you know, (laughs) drinking and partying. And then the, later thirties where her daughter is receiving letters from her. Um, she's ostensibly abroad. Um, and the letters are like, um, dictating to her a, um, scavenger hunt that she can do. The daughter is staying at the mom's old house where she grew up. And so, um, yes, it's, it's, it is a little bit sad, but it's more touching and tender, um, for me than sad, really good historical fiction. My number two is The Dutch House by Ann Patchett. Uh, Lucy already kind of referenced this one, but I I like Ann Patchett a lot, but I will admit that I have not read a ton of her fiction. I read Commonwealth and loved it, um, but to me, The Dutch House was, was even better, uh, partly because 
uh, Patchett does such a good job of writing um, about this house. And it very much reminded me of Loving Frank and how she writes about architecture. Um, but then the sibling story is beautiful. And and family of origin was also a sibling story. Um, in this one, in the Dutch house, there's this older sister, Maeve, who just is one of the few characters I've read in adulthood who I think will stay with me. Um, it's narrated by her younger sibling. And I... I just adored it. I would like to try it in audiobook format as well, where Tom Hanks is the narrator. I've heard great things. Um, but I I think this is a book I'll revisit. And that cover is so good. Mm-hmm. My number two is A Boy and His Dog at the End of the World, which until I read Starless Sea, truly thought this was going to be my number one for the whole year. Sorry. <laughs> Spoiler <Fletcher>. alert. <laughs> um, well, I think we all know it. <laughs> Let's be real here. Um, it was incredible. And it was a book that every time I put it down, I just, I wanted to know what came next. And I was so excited to be able to pick up that book again and continue it. Um, post-apocalyptic. It was, it was just really good. It was so well done. Okay. Number two, Furious Hours. Oh, yay. This is Which was my very first shelf sub. Oh, was it? Yeah. That's exciting. Um, It was. And I had, I was really struggling with what to do that month. And then it came along and it just told me, this is your shelf sub. Um, (laughs) Such a fascinating and well-written piece of nonfiction. If you love the South, if you love Harper Lee, if you love murder mysteries, um, if you just really like good nonfiction writing, um, this is a book that you need to read, Furious Hours. Okay, my number one, I am sure, is also not a surprise. It's The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. I can't believe this didn't win the National Book Award. It's fine. I can't believe that. I, can't. I really can't. <laughs> um, it's fine. He's a literal genius, so he'll be okay. Uh, but I remember reading this, and I read it. I begged for the ARC because I read as a young um, as a young journalist, that's being very generous, a young person with a journalist degree, journalism degree. <laughs> uh, I read all about the Dozier school. It broke my heart. Um, and so when I found out that was the next kind of subject matter Colson Whitehead was tackling, I immediately wanted a copy. Um, then I gave it like my dad read it. Um, Jordan read it. Um, it is so powerful. Um, and like Olivia, I think it's, um, hard, but important and necessary. Um, and I do think there are whiffs of hope in there too. And also it's just really good storytelling. Um, there's a, there's kind of a twist in the book that to me really does show the genius of Colson Whitehead. Um, just, I think I'll remember this book forever. Sticks with you. I will remember forever the Starless Sea. <laughs> it, it quite honestly might be my new like absolute favorite book. Aww. It was one that I read for a full month, and I don't do that with books. <laughs> read them in a week or less, um, but just because I wanted to savor every page. And I think I've said this before, but like she starts every chapter that isn't the folklore of the book. It starts with Zachary Ezra Rollins, who is the main character of the book, and you literally get chills every time you're like, here we go. Let's do it. She's amazing. Um, I will remember this, my number one book for probably five to ten years, but not for forever. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't change my life in the way that both of yours I really, really enjoyed it. It, It's Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, I wonder. Which also I listened to on audiobook. And I, if you're here in the store and you want to take something home, please buy the the hardcover (laughs) book. But 
if you can possibly listen to the audiobook, you should. Um, just the best produced audiobook I've listened to. Um, it sounds like one long podcast. I devoured it. Um, and just really fascinating nonfiction about how our misunderstandings um, flavor the way that we interact with people that we don't yet know. Um, and he covers a lot of um, like contemporary issues in it and just makes you think a little bit differently. Um, you don't have to agree with him at the end on everything he says, um, but I love the idea that you can come in to this book with one way of thinking about an issue and you can have that maybe questioned mm. and that, and that you can listen to that questioning and maybe it'll change your mind it, in this like current, um, political climate. I feel like that changing your mind is on some things is like really valuable yes. thing to do. So talking to strangers, my number one, uh, what an eclectic list of books. Mm-hmm. I wish we would have picked each other's top 10. Cause I feel like I could have done a very good job. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, this is not going to be surprising for any of us. No. I think it shows kind of what we like to read and showcases it well. And, and hopefully how in story, there is a staffer for you. Mm -hmm. I also think, um, so thank you guys for coming on the podcast. Thank you listeners for, um, listening to all of these episodes this year. I cannot believe this is episode 254. Um, I wanted to take a minute to thank you for listening, for your support and to thank Chris for all of his help on the podcast over the past couple of years. Um, Chris graduated this year. He got his PhD, he got married and we wish him nothing but the best. Um, on January 30th from the front porch is going to take a brief hiatus. And on January 30th, we're going to come back with new episodes. You kind of are getting a hint at what those episodes are going to sound like. Um, we've got new theme music. Um, we're going to have new episodes like I'm very excited about book therapy, um, in which I will be your Fraser Crane regarding all things <laughs> literature. Um, so we've got some new fun staff interviews and things in the works for 2020. So we're going to just take a brief little break to get us through the holiday season. And I will be back with new episodes on January 30th. Um, Um, Until then, I hope you guys have a happy holiday season, and thank you so much for your support of the bookshelf this year. It means the world, um, and it um, it has meant a lot to me as a person and to our staff. So thank you for listening, and thanks, guys, for being on our last episode of the year. Thank you. Thanks. From the Front Porch is a production of The Bookshelf. Production of this episode is done by Studio D Podcast Production, and our new intro music is by Simeon Church. You can find full episodes of From the Front Porch at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com, and you can also follow us along on Patreon, where we have some really fun new content coming in 2020. Thanks again so much for your support, and we will see you next year.